0: you have a Bible or access to the scripture, Psalm 16, please. Psalm 16. To keep your Bibles open, this, we will refer to these 11 verses. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord. Who gives me counsel. In the night seasons also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, if we were to pray now and go home, it would be worthwhile making the effort to come. We've exalted Christ in our singing, we've exalted Christ in our remembrance of him as Michael has led us, but now we're going to exalt Christ in the listening of his word. Psalm 16. You know, since God first gave them, brothers and sisters, every child of God has loved the Psalms, these 150 God-centered songs. The Psalms are unique in that they teach us how to pray and sing by bringing every thought and emotion in the human experience into the context of God's story. Through the Psalms, our hearts, whether they are bursting or broken, become aligned with God's character, God's heart. The Psalms lead our thinking and our feeling Godward, so that wherever we are in our lives, whatever befalls us in life, whether pleasure or pain, these words that come from God become the very steps by which we find God in the midst of our difficulties. If you like, brothers and sisters, these psalms contain the story of God through the songs and the sighs of his people. And this short but significant psalm is no different. For the next few minutes, let's walk with David through these 11 verses. And as we walk with David, we will walk from fear to confidence. From instability to security, from anxiety to authentic everlasting joy at God's right hand and as we do so brothers and sisters I trust that you and I will see how God removes our greatest fears, God removes our greatest fears. For isn't that what happens? He begins in verse 1 with the phrase, Preserve me. Preserve me, O God. By the time you get to verse 8, he says, I will not be shaken. Preserve me. Help me. I will not be shaken. How does such a change of heart happen? What brings about this removal of great fear? One word, theology. Theology. The study of the character and the ways of God. Reminding ourselves who God is for us in Christ. Far, brothers and sisters, from an airy, fairy, pie-in-the-sky-when-you-die notion, Actually, brothers and sisters, this morning, what you believe about God, what you know about God, his character and his ways, it will transform your life, your death, and everything in between, from what you look at on the internet, from what you scroll through on your phone, to how you raise your kids, what you know about the character and ways of God will transform everything, or at least it should. If you like, brothers and sisters, like David you know God to be a reliable saviour a sovereign Lord and your greatest treasure if you are like David in that then in the end, like David God will remove your greatest fear. In Psalm 16, it's not as though David has no fears but in Psalm 16, brothers and sisters you will note that there is no note of emergency it's not as intense as in some of the other psalms if you like here in psalm 16 david's focus is more on his anchor than on his alarms he's focused in psalm 16 more on what anchors him rather than what alarms him when i was a wee boy we often sang we have an anchor, and it keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to a rock that cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. That's David's focus. That's the emphasis of David here in these 11 verses. So let me tell you this morning where we're headed and let me give you my points in case we never get there at least you'll have them and you can go home and do your own digging how does God overcome our greatest fears? in verses 1 to 4 he calls us to commitment in verses 5 to 7 he calls us to contentment and in verses 8 to 11 he calls us to confidence a call to commitment A call to contentment, a call to confidence. And in doing so, God removes our greatest fears. Is it any wonder that you and I, brothers and sisters, live in such a fearful world? And fear heightened over the last two years by this project fear, constantly driven by the media, constantly hyping up all the statistics all the time. We live in a very fearful world. Men and women now are gripped by care and by anxiety and by fear. Because so many folks have committed themselves to lies. If with time we could look at Isaiah 28 where the people say we have entered into a covenant with death. In other words death won't affect us. Death and its fear won't torture us. We have entered into an agreement with death and God says to to the prophet you've actually made lies a refuge. You're sheltering under lies. People have built foundations today upon sand. And there's no real contentment. Confidence—that's in short supply. And this is illustrated by the twisted rewording of the 23rd Psalm. It was actually found by a police officer in a phone box in Long Beach, California. And this rewording of the 23rd Psalm—I cut this out of the Redemption Tidings. Anybody remember the Redemption Tidings? Used to get it in church. Was given out once a month or a quarter or something. It was the redemption tidings and then it became just redemption. And my mom and dad, we got this magazine. And I remember cutting this out of this magazine. This must have been in the mid-80s. And listen to this twisted rewording of Psalm 23. It's tragic. King heroine is my shepherd. I shall always be in want. He makes me to lie down in the gutter. He leads me beside troubled waters. He destroys my soul. He leads me in the paths of wickedness for the effort's sake. Yea, I shall walk through the valley of poverty. I will fear all evil, for you, heroine, are with me. Your needle and your capsule try to comfort me. Thou strippest the table of groceries in the presence of my family. Thou robest my head of reason. My cup of sorrow runs over. Surely heroin addiction shall stalk me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the damned forever. That is not the perspective of David. Who said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And now he says in Psalm 16 and 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I have said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Talk about commitment. Here's the greatest commitment anyone could ever make. The commitment that David makes here, it's not to a philosophy, it's not to a program, it's not to a list of ideas. The commitment that David makes here is to a person. In Hebrew, it's in the past tense. I have said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai, you are my boss, you are my Lord, you are the governor and the sustainer of my life. And then he says, I have no good apart from you. In the first part of verse 2, he's committed to God as sovereign. He says, you call the shots. You're the boss. But you know what? It's not just devotion. You know, it's not, It's not. well, you know, you're God and you're bigger and you're stronger and, you know, might makes right and there's nothing I can do and so reluctantly I I submit to the fact that you're the boss. It's not just devotion. It's delightful devotion. It's devotion and delight. At the end of verse 2 he says, I have no good apart from you. There is nothing good outside of you. Literally in Hebrew, my good is not beyond you. It's as though he's saying, all the lasting good that I will ever know, all the lasting good that I will ever experience, it's all wrapped up in you. In Psalm 43 and verse 3, he's already referred to God as his exceeding joy, his exceeding joy in New Testament terms it's not only you know knowing Christ as Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 8 he says knowing the surpassing worth of Christ I have no good apart from you can I ask you this morning have you any good things have you any treasures have you got things that are important to you Of course you have Of course you have We all do There are things that are precious to us There are good things in our lives that we treasure But you know what When you boil it all down When you cut to the chase as it were And sometimes brothers and sisters It takes hardship and trouble to do this And maybe a bereavement And maybe an illness It tends to clarify things very very quickly Doesn't it I mean, if you've ever, like me, left the hospital at the small horse, you've walked down to the car park and put your ticket in, and it's maybe 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and the place is quiet, and you've just left the side of a sick loved one who's hooked up to machines or a friend or a family member who's just been on the receiving end of a difficult diagnosis and they don't know what the future holds uppermost in your thoughts as you put that ticket in is not am I driving home in a BMW or am I driving home in a 14 year old Focus and when I get home am I going to sit down in one city, three cities in the family room, the breakfast room, the breakfast bar, have I got twist carpet, of I got wooden floors, you couldn't give a rip. And it didn't ultimately matter whether or not you were drinking the finest coffee or just the old Doug Egbert stuff, it's awful stuff that, if I'm ever at your house, just give me tea. You know it's, it's, like, it's like two pounds for a massive big jar, no wonder. That's a whole other story. I don't know how I got there. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you've got throws on your sofas, whether you've got a flat screen TV. It doesn't matter because in those moments you realize, you know what? God is all the lasting good I've ever got. I have no good beyond you. My good is not beyond you. You see, brothers and sisters, the world the world assesses things in terms of profit and loss. But in the words of Christ, what can a man ultimately gain that he will not ultimately lose? I mean, what will we ever have this morning that we won't ultimately let go of? What will we ever gather around us that one day we don't have to leave behind? nothing no thing nothing so David was right I have no good apart from you nothing can ultimately displace him our greatest fears brothers and sisters will never be removed until we come to this starting point this call to commitment a commitment like no other it brings us to it whatever brings us to that brothers and sisters in life do you hear me? Whatever it is that brings you to that commitment whereby you say you are my Lord I have no good apart from you whatever it is that brings you there is a precious thing might be a difficult thing. might be a hard thing. It might be a heavy thing. But if it brings you there in eternity, you will look at it and say, that was precious. Yeah. 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 And that's not to say, brothers and sisters, that once we have committed ourselves to God as our only lasting good, that every day we fight, we're going to win this battle. But at least in identifying it, we're on our way. Now this commitment, brothers and sisters, to God also dictates our, 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 our loyalties and directs our loyalties. That's verse 3. We don't have time to deal, deal with it. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So a commitment to God. Dictated his loyalties. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. He delights in God, he delights in his people. Again, brothers and sisters, we don't have time to dwell there, but in the scriptures, you never get a churchless Christ. Do you hear me? In the Bible, you never ever get a churchless Christ. You never get Jesus without his people. We know what it is to have encountered a Christless church. But in the scriptures you will never encounter a churchless Christ. You never get Christ but that you get his people. Remember he brought that tyrannical little Pharisee to his knees. He let him travel from Jerusalem up to Damascus. And 10 miles outside Damascus. From Jerusalem to Damascus. 120 miles. And he let him go raging with his warrants and his desire to just condemn and imprison all of these crazy Christians Christ let him travel 110 miles and there outside Damascus he floored him arrested him what part did Paul have to play in his salvation none none and he said Saul Saul why do you persecute me I am so bound with my people that you never find a churchless Christ. He delights in God. In verse 4 you've got a commitment the other way. He says the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. I won't even take their names upon my lips. I won't even mention their names he says. God removes our greatest fears by calling us to commitment. Secondly. Secondly. Verses 5 to 8, God removes our greatest fears by calling us to contentment. Look at him there. David continues, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Look at that there. Isn't that beautiful in verse 5? The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. This contentment flows from the satisfaction that David finds in God. In verse 7, his his contentment, it it stems, it, it flows from the direction that he receives from the Lord. So he's content in God. And he's content also because of the direction that he receives from God. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. God removes our greatest fears. When as in verse 5, he is our chosen portion and our cup. It's as though, brothers and sisters, as we said last Sunday at communion, it's as though there's there's a huge, big table spread before David. And on that table, there are tens of thousands of delicacies, all the delights, all the things that this world has to offer. And David, David looks across it all and he says, The Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is my cup. You know again, if he knew it, David would have sung it, I'd rather of Jesus than silver or gold, I'd rather be his than of riches untold, I'd rather of Jesus than worldwide fame, I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast, domain and be held in sin's dread sway, I'd rather of Jesus than anything this world affords today. And what about this, brothers and sisters, at the end of verse 5, you hold my lot. What does that mean? You hold my lot. It means, brothers and sisters, that when the wheel is spun, or when the dice is rolled, or when the straws are drawn, what happens to me, God decided would happen to me. You hold my lot. This is not, sera, sera. whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours, the sea. It is not that. It is, you hold my lot. Yesterday morning, again, this was brought home to me as I read the book of Jonah. There in chapter 1 and verse 7, he was running from God. You know the story, he got on a boat. The boat was caught in the midst of a horrendous storm. The sailors knew in their pagan unbelief that this storm was something out of the ordinary. They knew this storm was for somebody and so they decided they would draw straws or cast lots. And the Bible says the lot fell upon Jonah. Why? Because God held Jonah's lot. God decided. Whether rolling the dice, or drawing straws, or spinning a roulette wheel, or taking your next breath, whatever happens to us is from God. He rules over our lives, not just the big things, but in all the little details. And because that's the case, David says in verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What lines? Fishing lines? Close lines, boundary lines these were used in connection with dividing up the land of Canaan as they were giving out different portions to all of the twelve tribes of Israel but here David picks up that thought and he says the lines, these boundary lines have been drawn for me and circumscribed me within a beautiful place in pleasant places. In terms of the grateful acknowledgement of the Lord's providence in the ordering, and the marking out, uh, the settling circumstances of his life. See what David's doing here. He says, since, since you hold my lot, Since you decide what befalls me, I want to tell you that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Since you circumscribe the events of my life, I just want to pause and acknowledge to you today that the lines that have been marked off for me have been marked off within pleasant places. Yes, within those lines, Lord, I have a beautiful inheritance. You know, I'm not stupid, brothers and sisters. That's easy enough to say that when things are going well. You know, you've got a great job. You know, you've got that Friday feeling all the time. You're like Justin Timberlake. You've got that sunshine in your pocket. Got that good soul in your feet. You know, you can't stop the feeling and you just want to dance, dance, dance. Dance. Sun's out, the window's down, you're drumming on the steering wheel, you're heading home, the phone's switched off, you're going to pick up it. Brilliant! Yeah, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. How's it work, these lines being drawn for you in pleasant places? When you've got a needle stuck in your arm, and you have to go there every other Wednesday and get that treatment and watch that bag drain into your vein. How's that working out for you when all your props have been kicked away? When everything that represented security to you has been removed? How's that lines falling for you in pleasant places working out then? I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning, the people who have had the greatest impact upon my life are those who have been able to express this sentiment In the worst of circumstances, still they say, you know what? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You know, at first it may not seem comforting to know that God's in control when your life is difficult. But if you know yourself, brothers and sisters, to be God's and God to be yours, that knowledge brings into the very core of your life rock-solid stability. And it doesn't mean that we will not walk through measures of pain or defeat, but it does mean, brothers and sisters, that we are assured of final victory. We may not win every battle, but it does mean that we'll definitely win the war. I looked at a friend not so long ago and I said to them, whatever this is, this much I do know in the words of Paul to the Thessalonican church. "God." has not appointed this for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you live or whether you die, you will reign with him. Look at verse seven. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. This is the counsel of a father's heart. Place is full of dads here this morning. You know the counsel of a father's heart. Can I ask you this morning, who counsels you? It's really trendy now, isn't it, to have a counselor? Or to go to a therapist? I just this week, coming home from work, I forget what day it was, I was listening to Ken Bruce, and he was interviewing Anne-Marie. If you don't know who Anne-Marie was, she went over on her ankle to the Brit Awards. Anne-Marie, we saw in 2002, all the young people are, oh yeah, all the old people are, what? I can do both, I can do I'd rather of Jesus and silver or gold, and I can do Anne-Marie 2002. <laughs> but she was talking to Ken Bruce, and she was talking to Ken Bruce about her new album. Her new album's called Therapy. And she says it's called Therapy because during the lockdown she found it very, very difficult. And she felt she needed to go for Therapy. And I was sitting in my 14-year-old focus, having gotten up in the middle of the night to go and deliver meals, and I thought, it must be tough living in London as a multi-million pound pop star. It must be really difficult. But be that as it may, she went for therapy. And then she talked about her new single. I thought love was the answer to all my problems, and kissing your lips was the key. All these tattoos and dancing distractions ain't working for me. I think I need therapy. Do you know how many people on the Shankill Road that resonates with? All these tattoos and dancing, all these distractions, just ain't working for me. I need therapy. Who's got your ear? Who counsels you? David would say, "When my heart is overwhelmed, God leads me to the rock that is higher than me." And brothers and sisters, listen carefully this morning. I am not disdaining the fact. That there are people who can help us and advise us and, and guide us. For goodness sake, God has given us the book of Proverbs. Do you know, for a period in my life, I thought I was really thick. And now I know I'm really thick. <laughs> but then I thought I was really thick. And in order to help my thickness, I decided I would read the book of wisdom. The book of, Prover- the book of Proverbs. Look, I can't even say it. So I thick I But I thought I would read that. Because I wanted wisdom. And the Bible says that wisdom is from above in the book of James. And if we ask of God, God gives to all men liberally and doesn't send you away. So I thought I would read the book of Proverbs. So listen, I am not disdaining the fact that there are counselors, that there are therapists, there are people that we can go. We all need sages in our lives, people that can counsel us. But I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, if some of us would receive counsel of God from the Word of God to the heart of our experience a lot faster than running here, there, and everywhere, our lives may well be a bit different. You don't think David was buffeted by so many things? So much of it of his own making? Do you not think David came from a dysfunctional family? All the stuff that happened to him, and yet he was able to say, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. The counsel of a father's heart. The sufficiency of the father's word. Did God leave anything out of this book, brothers and sisters, that he intended us to have, that we would need to get us from the year dot to eternity? Did God leave anything out of his word? Nothing. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Maybe in the silliness, maybe in the stupidity of our desire to run here, there, and everywhere. It's directly related to our unwillingness to bow down underneath the scriptures and allow God's word to counsel us. The counsel of a father's heart. And what about verse 8? The comfort of a father's hand. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Yesterday afternoon we ended up in Decathlon, it's the big sports shop over at Hollywood Exchange, and while we were there, Emily saw these pink roller boots, she had never worn pink roller boots in her life, and I thought it would be good fun to put them on her, and so I sat her up there on the bench, took off her boots, put on these pink roller boots, and you know what, she was absolutely brilliant, she never fell once she went up and down the aisles she was able to turn around and go back she never fell once she was brilliant do you know what the key to her brilliance was? it wasn't her mommy's jeans because she put a pair on and she was up in time. do you know the key to Emily's brilliance? that there I held her right hand the whole time she never fell she wobbled, she never hit the ground. She, she nearly went into some skateboards, but she didn't. She nearly fell over the wee drum that contained the socks, but she didn't. Why? Because I had her by the right hand. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Listen, God has pledged himself to be at the right hand of the brokenhearted and the crushed. He gives grace to the humble. The Bible says he's near to all who call upon his name. So is it any wonder, brothers and sisters, that David, knowing the counsel of a father's heart and the comfort of a father's hand, God removes our greatest fears by calling us to commitment, calling us to contentment, and finally, it's just gone to minus one. My final point, calling us to confidence. Do you want to hear it, or do you want to go home? If you want to go home, just say, "Where you go, doors open." <laughs> two minutes more time. Well, it's not going to be two minutes. Probably about five. More realistic. <laughs> Maybe even six. Say, Tim, shut up and get on with it. It's going to be it. Listen, here we go. Finally, verses 9 to 11, God calls us to commitment. God calls us to contentment. God calls us to confidence. Verses 9 to 11, therefore my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You know, brothers and sisters, real confidence is rare. Bravado is one thing, you know. Acting like Jack the Lad and strutting about and straightening your shoulders and sticking out your chest like a racing pigeon and and acting tough and playing it cool. But you know, genuine emotional confidence and security of soul, it's hard to find. David's confidence is such that by the time you get to verses 9 and 10 and 11, he's looking death in the face and he feels secure. His joy in verse 9 is based on the one hand that in verse 8 he won't be shaken. And on the other hand in verse 10 that he won't be forever abandoned in the grave. That was his greatest fear. Verse 1, preserve me O God. David knew brothers and sisters he would die. Nathan told him that in 2 Samuel chapter 7 he says you're going to lie down with your fathers you're going to become like Abraham like Isaac and like Jacob but listen to the promise of God but after you David after you I will raise up from you one whose kingdom I will establish and I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever David knew he would die He knew he would decay in the grave like his father's. But he knew God would set one of his descendants on his throne. And this descendant would not simply be one of a succession of kings on the the Davidic throne. He would end all succession because he and his throne would reign forever. Which means that somehow this coming king... He's going to triumph over this horrible enemy that brought an end to every single other king. Death is not going to have victory over him. Somehow he's not going to lie and decay in the grave like I am for century after century after century. David knew that was going to happen. He knew a Messiah was coming, a king of kings. David knew that much without the Old Testament or without the New Testament. David lived aware of the fact that he would lie down with his father's I will decay in the grave. One will come after me who will not suffer decay like me. And being aware of that, David says in verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. And a thousand years later, a big fisherman from Bethsaida on the day of Pentecost called Peter. He stands up to preach and he addresses the multitudes of Jerusalem. And listen to what he says. He says, brothers... In Acts 2.29, David has died. And his tomb is with us to this very day. But, as Michael says, when you hear a but. But God had sworn to him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. And David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, and of this we are all witnesses. And verse 10 of Psalm 16 goes beyond what was true of David the great David's greater son. So this psalm, brothers and sisters, that begins with a plea for preservation in verse 1, it moves to unshakable confidence in verses 8 and 9. And yet, brothers and sisters, David knew he would die He knew he would be rescued from death for eternal joys at God's right hand. He knew that there would be a Messiah who would not die the way he died. He wouldn't lie in the grave the way he would lie in the grave. He knew that somehow this Messiah would bring an end to death, bring an end to the succession of kings. And that event and his own experience of pleasures at God's right hand, he knew that had to be related. But he didn't know how. And that's why Peter says what he said in 1 Peter 1 and 10, that the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be ours, they searched. They inquired diligently what person or what time the spirit of Christ that was in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that was, that was, that was to follow. In other words, the prophets like David in the Old Testament, they, they stood on their tippy toes and they, they tried to see forward concerning the things that they were, they were prophesying because they didn't have all the pieces in place. He didn't know. He saw through a glass darkly. I'm going to live forever I'm going to experience pleasures forever at God's right hand and yet I'm going to die I'm going to decay and yet even that won't you won't forever abandon me my my physical body in the grave because someone's coming that, that you're going to put on the throne and he's going to conquer death and that's related to me and that's how it's left brothers and sisters in the Old Testament they're all standing looking forward in confidence that God would keep his word. They trusted in the promise of Christ. You and I, we rest in the person of Christ. So that his triumph over death is our triumph over death. We will not be abandoned in the grave. We will walk on a path of life that brings us the fullness of joy, everlasting pleasure at God's right hand. And by this knowledge, God removes our greatest fears. Listen to Romans 8 and 11, and with this we're finished. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Brothers and sisters this morning hold tightly, Do you hear me, hold tightly to that which God has deemed important and hold, hold lightly to those things which society deems are characteristic of a successful life for when the balances are weighed at the gates of heaven it will all be very, very different. Let's stand. going to sing our final song. If there's someone here this morning and you're not saved and you would like to be, you don't know Christ as your treasure, you still are tormented by great fear, then do stay behind after the service. We'll be only too glad to speak with you take the time to pray with you. But before we do any of that, let's respond to his word by giving him praise. Amen.